It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. Now, senior NBA writer Sam Amick on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Out to the zone phone we go. The Sprint special guest line, Lisa, any handset for 99, uh, excuse me, Lisa, any handset and get an iPad for 99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. G- uh, joining a senior NBA writer for The Athletic, our friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you today? Hey, guys. Doing great. Good afternoon. So we were just talking about how we were looking forward to asking you about uh, your experience watching the Jazz in person against Sacramento last Friday, but now we're almost scared to do so. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the I highlight. mean, they had a nice win. I, I figure you'd want to talk about the Philly game. You know what I mean? Like Much better performance. That, yeah, they went a little better for them. I mean, listen, that Kings game, you know, Sacramento was desperate. They were... 0-5 at the time, I believe, and they're at home. And so, you know, that, that's the human component of the game where they were fighting at a pretty high level. And, you know, it was interesting to see in terms of, like, the inner dynamics with the Jazz. After that game, they were certainly frustrated. And, you know, and, and I wrote a little bit about this, but, like, before I talked to Mike Conley, after that game, you know, you could see the, these little conversations that are going on between these people who are still learning one another. So Mike and Rudy Gobert were, were kind of breaking it down as far as where the missed opportunities were. I remember, you know, Rudy made a point about how they just got to get their their operation correct on the road because in his mind, like if you get it where you want it on the road, then you're just going to be even more dominant at home. And so – and then they kind of drilled down with a lot more specifics from there. I mean, you can tell that they are learning one another, even though you have, you know, people in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy and Joe Ingles and that crew that has been doing this together for a while, Mike and, and you know, similarly, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, those are new crucial pieces and they're still finding their way. You know, Sam, you you almost predicted this because I remember when we talked with you, you said, "I wonder if the Kings will come out desperate and inspired to uh, to reverse their fortunes a little bit." And and I thought that's exactly what they did. And I I haven't watched a lot of Kings games, but I thought they played pretty well that night. No, they did. And to be honest, they've um, you know this is like not a good time to be pulling silver linings already, but. Um, they have, you know, they're, they're kind of the silver linings champion at the moment. They had a loss against Denver where they played really well, but Denver's just a better team and they couldn't pull it out. Um, the, the worst loss they've had is Charlotte at home. That's the one that is pretty inexcusable. But then even last night they go to Toronto, and I know there's no Kawhi Leonard, but still a very good Raptors team that is now 5-2, and two, and they competed and they lose by four. You know, they've – looked better in the last few games. It started with the Jazz game, then they, uh, they they dominated New York at the Garden and then dropped that game last night. They just, you know, now they're behind the eight ball and, and you know, I think uh, whatever it is, two and six at this point. But it's just, uh, you know, the sample size being small at the start of the year, we all have a tendency to, you know, the fans certainly to panic and, and you wonder which direction it's going. But they've had, you know, some good moments. That Jazz win was easily the best one for them. It's interesting that a team can do that, that uh, on a certain occasion they can rally themselves, you know, because the Jazz are a better team than the Kings. I don't think you're going to get much of an argument anywhere, but 
in that right. in that last moment when the Jazz didn't block out and they scored, I think it was Harrison Barnes, wasn't it? Who scored that yeah. mm-hmm. that second chance point and uh, and the Jazz uh, get get beat. So I don't know. I, I guess that's encouraging for teams that may not have you know the best talent. Well, listen, it's it's. I mean, I think they they've got decent talent. Now they lost Marvin Bagley to a thumb injury for six to eight weeks, and that's a tough blow. Uh, but to your point, Gordon, like locally, the level of anxiety was at an extremely high level. You got a new coach. You know, I sat down with Luke Walton going into that game and, you know, had a fairly in-depth chat about their problems. And I don't think that Luke was going to get fired or Vladi Divac was going to get fired, but even the fact that those questions were already being asked, I mean, if, if 0-5 becomes 0-8, then it's pro sports, right? So, you know, you don't know what that's going to cause. And so it, it is something that, you, you know, that's when the desperation kicks in and, and they pull off a W like that one. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, Sam, you alluded to it earlier. You did have a chance to have a conversation with Mike Conley and kind of smack dab in the middle of his struggles. That and he played a little better last night, so Jazz fans hoping he pulls out of it a little bit. But uh, fascinating conversation. What I, I guess what really stood out to you, or, or did you learn something, or were you surprised uh, about something uh, that he said in that interview? Probably just how personally he's taking – the whole experience. I mean, I think a lot of guys, like we know that if you make a list of, you know, NBA stars who have not been all stars, Mike Conley is probably number one on that list. He's a high level player who hasn't gotten that nod, but he's kind of considered that level. So that kind of accomplishment combined with 12 years, you know, somewhere else in Memphis, um, I think a lot of players in his position would come into a situation like Utah and essentially just kind of, you know, try to fit in quickly, do their best, but not take it so personally. And he admitted that he really has been, that he wanted the Jazz Nation to, you know, kind of learn his game and learn who he is as a person, as a competitor, and put on a good show and, and almost reintroduce himself to a whole new audience. And he was disappointed that it hadn't gone very well early on. Now he's had a couple breakout games. Now last night, the number that jumped out to me, certainly that, it shows a good night for the Jazz. It was a plus 19. Like, you know, his, he's a little bit inefficient from the field, but your point guard turning in a plus 19 every night, you're going to be in good shape. So, um, but he just talked about the pressure he put on himself, how lonely of an experience it was, because not only was he trying to get used to the new surroundings, he talked about the basketball language with Quinn Snyder versus, you know, his Grizzlies coaches in the past and how, you know, Quinn would drop, certain terminologies about about different plays and you know Rudy and Donovan and Joe and those guys know exactly what it means and their brains are instantly telling them where to go and what to do and Donovan is just a step slow I'm sorry uh, Mike is a step slow because he's not familiar with it and you know on top of all the basketball stuff I think some of the stuff we forget about occasionally is just the life stuff so he's got kids you know he's got a family and you know trying to get them situated in town and get everybody comfortable. They lived in a hotel for a while, and then they're moving over to a, a new place, and, and that's all happening while he's you know, trying to, to, to compete at a high level. Yes, Sam, and the other thing I didn't really know was that he traditionally starts slow, and so that all of that combines exactly what you described. What did you make of the game overall last night if you were able to see uh, more than a few minutes of it? I didn't see a ton. I tried to watch the uh, – 
the condensed version today. I don't know if you guys have ever tried that on a league pass. Um, it's usually a great option today. I'm not sure why it was malfunctioning to where it was all the weirdest camera angles you could possibly imagine. So it didn't quite give me what I needed. I mean, it looks like, I mean, you're talking about a, a high level win. That's, that's a Sixers team that had Joel Embiid back from his two game suspension, you know, and, and had, um, they had Simmons last night, didn't they? When did he they get did, hurt? For the, he got hurt in the second quarter. He played 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, still, I mean, that that's obviously to the uh, Utah's advantage, but a quality win. I mean, Philly was the only undefeated team until a couple games ago, and, you know, I, I just think that all season long, this Jazz team is going to be so interesting to monitor and to watch because, you know, in the media, myself included, we are definitely guilty – of being obsessed with like the kind of the sexiness of the dynamic duo approach with these, these different elite teams. And so we will fixate on Westbrook and Harden and Houston and LeBron and AD with the Lakers and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. And, and the jazz have like a humble man's version of that, but it's just not the same type of marquee uh, name. And Donovan is your star and Rudy is a one of a kind force defensively and a guy who never gets enough credit offensively, but it's, it's not, you know, as clean of a dynamic duo kind of arrangement as some of these other squads, but but it's a five-man game. It's an eight-man game, really, and they're deep, and they have more scoring than they have in the past, at least in terms of options. And and uh, and I, I'm probably going to write something in the somewhat near future about talking to Donovan about that stuff and about how, you know, he smiles a lot more these days when he looks out to his left and his right and he sees options like a Mike Conley and a Bogdanovich and, you know, in addition to what they had before. So I think they're going to just get better as the season goes along. Sam, I want to ask you about load management. I know you've uh, you've written a little bit about this uh, up at The Athletic. And I, I want to ask you this question. Why is it such a big deal right now? Is it simply because the Kawhi's missed two nationally televised games? Because he missed 20 games last year, so it's not like this is new. Greg Popovich basically started this load management thing, what, Gordon, you know, 10 years ago with Tony Parker and, and Tim Duncan. Why all of a sudden is it an extreme hot-and-button issue today? I think mainly because the league set up a schedule in which um, they had back-to-back games for the Clippers that were on national television. And from the Clippers' vantage point, it puts them in a challenging spot because you are going to tick off the NBA – no matter what, you know, the, you know, the, the perfect scenario would be a Wednesday game against Charlotte. that's not on national TV and nobody really cares if Kawhi sits. And then Thursday night against Milwaukee and Giannis out of the Kumpo, something like that. Instead, it was against Milwaukee and then against Portland tonight. And, and they chose to have Kawhi sit against Milwaukee. But the reason it's such a loud topic is the most obvious thing is that it's an ESPN game. And their ratings, you know, it's safe to assume, took a major dive because of Kawhi's decision to sit. And on top of that, you know, Adam Silver last summer had indicated that the league was going to push back against load management. And, you know, if you didn't have an injury reason for sitting, they didn't want their stars, uh, you know, on the sideline when so many people pay good money to be there and watch them and then also tune in. And really, I think TV drives this whole thing because – and we've had some good reporting about this at our place, ratings went down last year. And 
Part of it, I think, is because LeBron went from the East Coast to the West Coast, and you lose a lot of viewership on the East Coast when that's the case because of the time change. But whatever the reason, the NBA is making it a major priority to get that thing going back in the other direction now. Kawhi Leonard on the sideline for an ESPN game on a Wednesday night is not how you do that. So um, that's why it's a story. And also because it was very bizarre yesterday where the Clippers had been, I think, kind of sloppy with their messaging. And some people within the Clippers making it seem like it was just 100% load management with no health or injury situation related to it. And then the NBA putting out a public statement saying, no, he has a, a knee injury. And that's why we are not, you know, that's why we are basically saying it's not a breach of protocol, but, you know, kind of like telling different stories. And that made the whole thing even more confusing. So, Sam, I bring this up with you in part because Jake has a tendency to hate on whichever team his friends root for. True. Right, right. True fact. Jake? Yes, indeed. That's why I don't like the Delaware Mud Hands. Oh. Well, so, Sam, you probably know people who are like that, right? Uh, I I, uh, I got an email from one of these tracking devices that uh, they, they track uh, hatred, sports hate, for various teams. And at the start of the—through this point in the NBA season, they were tracking phrases such as, I hate such and such a team on, on Twitter. And what team do you think— Got the most hate, if you were to guess. I'm putting you on the spot here, but what team? Oh, I mean, I'm going to I feel Lakers is who comes to mind first. Indeed. The Lakers were, got the most hate on in 34 of the 50 states. The Warriors, sure. 11 states. I guess those in those states, they are appreciating the fact uh, or anticipating the Warriors' complete demise. The Clippers in three states, and the Rockets in two states. And I bring that up because Utah was one of those two states that the most hate was. They didn't like the Rockets? At the Rockets. Yeah, that surprised me. I thought they would jump in on the Lakers, too. Is this a matter? Sure. What, mean, what, what does this mean? Battles. What does this mean, really? I mean, what is it because LeBron is with the Lakers? Because of the success of the Lakers through the years, everyone hates uh, franchises that seem to be I don't know, above others or what? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a, it's a perfect storm of, like that 34 probably would have been in the in the high 20s even without LeBron. Like I think that's the history, uh, and I shouldn't admit that I'm forgetting this. I always forget which franchise has 16 titles versus uh, 17. I think the Lakers are at 16 because the, uh, the Celtics are 17. But, you know, regardless, all that success – and with it, a massively loud and obnoxious fan base that, <laughs> and I'm not trying to paint with that broad of a brush, but I think the folks who don't like the Lakers, that's the way they see the world. Um, and, and it's, you know, not only do they have what everybody else wants in terms of that level of championship history, but, you know, they, they make sure you hear about it. I mean, they just, they have a huge fan base, you know, it's, we see it in the media. When I write about the Lakers, you know, versus the Jazz or more, you know, small market teams, certainly the numbers are different. The level of interest is different. The, you know, the type of discourse is different. So then you add LeBron, who at different times in his career has been 
you know, the most kind of despised NBA star of them all, at least at, at his personal, you know, peak in that area back in 2010 with the decision and everything that came with that. You know, it, it makes sense to me. It's not surprising. I, I probably would have, I would have guessed that the Warriors number was higher. I mean, there's been a similar feeling about the Warriors in recent years, and, and maybe that just speaks again to the totality of it all and the fact that the Lakers, like as long as the Warriors run was, it still pales in comparison to what the Lakers have been able to do, you know, going back half a, a century, really. It reminds me, about three or four years ago, Sam, there was uh, somebody wrote something at one of the outlets uh, nationally, and they were saying that the Jazz were the most likable team in the NBA. And I remember when that came out, I thought, wait a second, is that a good thing? <laughs> sure. <laughs> because sure. usually, like you said, people, uh, sports hate, if that's the term, uh, teams that are really successful and they're jealous of. And I imagine as the Jazz continue to improve, uh, they may become less popular. Well, it reminds me, it's got a little bit like the, the, the Cubs, you know, lovable losers in baseball. I mean, that's not necessarily the tag you want. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. This is not exactly what you were saying, Gordon, but last night got a chance to say hello to, to former, uh, you know, kind of Jazz fan favorite Kyle Korver. Mm. And, and I believe they're coming in soon because he mentioned that he'd be seeing you know, the old jazz crowd and Kyle was, and I were kind of having a laugh about how I was, to be honest, I was telling him how this jazz crew from a media standpoint is one of my favorites in the league. Quinn Snyder is a joy to talk to the front office with Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck and those guys, uh, David Morway and all the way down the line, you know, and, and the players who you got some, some pretty neat human beings, I think in that locker room, Kyle kind of laughed. He goes, yeah, it wasn't that long ago when, when he was there, when it wasn't, you know, it was good people, but not as media friendly. You know, the the legend Jerry Sloan wasn't looking to to break down any X's and O's with media types who didn't understand what he was doing. That just wasn't his style. Uh, you know, Darren Williams at different times had an edge with uh, with the media, and so a different vibe. You know, this group. Uh, I don't know that I would, if you call them, you know, likable and relatable. Um, I think they can pull that off while also being. A, a really, really good team that, that's going to make a ton of noise this season. Yeah, the Jazz are playing the Bucks on Friday. Friday, night. yeah, so we'll see them Friday. Right. Well, Sam, as always, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Always a highlight of the week, man. Keep up the good work. You got it. Thanks, guys. Have see a great you, week. See you too, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Sam Amick of The Athletic.